Thank you for listening to Fireside Church Messages. Fireside is a community committed to loving God, loving people, and helping others do the same. To join our live stream services every Sunday or to find out how to get more involved in our community, head to firesidechurch.org. Hey, Fireside, how are you doing? If you are joining us on Sunday morning and watching this, you'll notice that I'm in a different location. I'm actually in my garage. I'm on an endless pursuit of getting away from my four kids so I can have some quiet in order to uh, give you guys God's word. And so these are white lights. Uh, they actually changed colors. They're really cool. Uh, Kate's uncle gave them to us. Uh, he no longer needed them. So we got them and, and they're really cool. So here I am in the cold and uh, giving you this morning's word or this afternoon or whenever you're listening because we do believe that this is God's word for our church. And so if you can't make a Sunday and we hope you can, um, I just pray that you will try to listen at some other time. So Thank you for listening, whether you're driving, whether you're doing the dishes, whatever it may be. But we are in a series that we just started last week called Tension. And this is all about how to deal with the tension that's going around in the world. And you see the elections coming up, the pandemic, social injustice bubbling up, all these things that are causing tension. Do we send our kids to school or not? Do you wear a ma mask? And what, when do you wear a mask? And uh, what's going to happen when, you know, the winter comes? And it, it's just so hard. And so we're looking at this letter that Paul wrote. Paul was this church planter to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews around the Mediterranean. And he writes this letter to the, the church in Ephesus. And check out last week's message. That'll catch you up a little bit. But Ephesus was kind of this major port um, from Italy to kind of the Middle East. And they had a, Greek, a, a goddess named Armidius, and, and she was uh, this big uh, statue that they thought fell from heaven, and they Ephesus was home of this as one of the great ancient wonders of the world. And so they had all this religion tension and they were over government. The government rule was the Romans. The Romans was the, the ones who were governing not only Ephesus, but all of Jerusalem and Judea. So this is the context in which Paul writes this. And so we can have some parallels. So what is he saying and how can we apply it to our life? So why don't we open up in prayer and then we'll dive in. Lord, we just uh, pray, Lord, that this be your voice that we'll be hearing. That it's not mine, but it's your word coming through me, God. And thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for the people. Lord, we are just in awe of who you are. Lord, speak to us. Let's open our hearts so we can be the best followers of you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, in the garage, <laughs> let's get at it. And I want to start off with uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. And it says this, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The other day, we were driving in, in our car, 
and the kids were kind of fighting as they do like all the time. And Emmy, our seven-year-old, was picking on Blake, our my four-year-old boy. And Blake <laughs> said one of the funniest things. He said, Emmy, chill out, man. And and I just lost it. You know, I was like, Emmy, chill out, man. This is a four-year-old boy telling his sister to chill out, man. And what I realized was that he was imitating me. That's something that apparently I say a lot. I'm like, guys, I'm like, Blakey, chill out, man. Chill out, man. You know those commercials. If you grew up in the 80s, you'll remember it. You know where they take the um, the, the egg and they fry and this is your brain's brain or drugs. But the other one where the kid gets caught like smoking and the father's like, what are you doing? And he just kind of bursts out. I learned it from watching you, dad. I learned it from watching you. We follow the footsteps. We will follow our father. We will imitate them. But the best thing about what Blake, you know, anytime I, I, I make something or build something, he's right behind me with his tools or his toy tools. And he's like, dad, what are we building today? But the best thing that I've ever seen him do is I was sitting down outside and our basketball was in the driveway. I am a huge basketball player. love playing basketball. played all my life. Still play in my driveway all the time. And I watch Blake as he goes up. He picks up the basketball and he starts to dribble it or attempt to dribble it. And he keeps going at it. And I am sitting there and I kid you not, I think I had a tear come down my eye because my boy was playing basketball and I was so pumped and I was like, yes, yes, you know, and, and he was watching me. He's been watching me in the driveway playing. And so he wanted to be like me. And so he started playing basketball. This is exactly what Paul is getting at. Be imitators of God. Follow the example of Christ. And in order to do this, we need to be close to him. We need to view him as our father and know him, know how he lived, Jesus on earth, know the scriptures, know the character of God, and then we can imitate what we know as a son imitates his father. And so let's go and look, how did Jesus live in a world of tension? So let's go look at the life of Jesus, and I want to go to Matthew. And what's so interesting about Matthew is that Matthew was a government employee. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were the ones that people would come and they would give their taxes and he would charge a little bit more for himself. And so therefore they were very much viewed as just uh, greedy, um, just people that nobody wanted to be around. And so this was Matthew. And Matthew became one of the disciples of Jesus. And so Matthew has some stories in here that we can get a glimpse into how Jesus dealt with tension and more specifically how Jesus dealt with the government. In Matthew 17, um, verse 24, it says this, when, when Jesus and the others arrived in Capernaum, the collectors for the temple tax came to Peter and asked, does your teacher pay the temple tax? 
Yes, he does, Peter answered. After they had returned home, Jesus went up to Peter and asked him, Simon, what do you think? Do the kings of the earth collect taxes and fees from their own people or from foreigners? Peter answered, from foreigners. Jesus replied, then their own people don't have to pay. But we don't want to cause trouble. So go cast a line into the lake and pull out the first fish you hook. Open its mouth and you will find a coin. Use it to pay your taxes in mine. So Jesus is saying, there's almost this recognition like, yeah, I don't necessarily need to pay taxes, you know, but I don't want to cause trouble. We are under the authority of this government. And so therefore, watch how God will provide the taxes that they are asking us to give. And, and he does it in just such a miraculous way. Go catch a fish and open the fish. There is your tax. So he pays taxes. And then in Matthew chapter 22, they said, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Again, because I think Matthew is trying to figure out this whole tax thing because he was a tax collector. And it wasn't that many years, you know, ago, maybe one year, maybe not, that, that Jesus had paid, you know, that called him to be a disciple. So he's struggling, like, how bad was my life? What do I do? You know, like, all I knew was being a tax collector and now I'm a follower of Jesus, what do I do? And so he says this, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test? He knew exactly what they were trying to do. You hypocrites, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God. So he, he takes this, you know, Daenerys and he, and he says, well, what do you see? You see Caesar all over. So give Caesar what Caesar's, you know, this is, I'm building a different kind of kingdom here. And when they saw that, they were amazed because they're like, you know, that makes a lot of sense, you know? And so he is not fighting the system, you know, he may not agree with it, but he's not fighting it. He's learning how to live in it. And we know this in John 18, Peter cuts off the Romans' ear. As they're going to arrest Jesus, Peter takes out an, a sword, the sword of the Roman guard, and slices his ear. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? I am not re leading a rebellion. You have the wrong picture in mind. And he actually heals his enemy. He heals the ear of the Roman guard that handcuffs him and takes him to what will be the crucifixion. See, in fact, Jesus really, what we see in scriptures, doesn't get angry at sinners. But sinners meaning not the religious leaders. That's where you see Jesus really getting mad is those Pharisees and Sadducees who think they have it right and that they're um, just all wrong and he's like no you think you're living for God but you're not and and that's where he gets frustrated but those that are sinners he actually doesn't get too mad at them instead he loves them he feels bad for them and he wants to share who he is with them and, and we see that when he calls Matthew in Matthew chapter 9 you should read this chapter he calls him, and in verse 9, it says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. So remember, Matthew is writing this account of when he got called by Jesus. Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. 
And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came. I mean, we're all sinners, but these were the repu- the ones that had that reputation, like a tax collector, right? And they all had dinner and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, who were these religious leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, and remember, he says this in front of the guests he's eating dinner with, the tax collectors, Matthew and the others. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And when he means sacrifice, he's saying the duties of religion. See, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they said, you will look at the things that we are doing for the Lord, right? And he says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Those who think they're righteous, they think they're high and mighty. And so if if you paint this picture, right? He's sitting at a dinner table with Matthew and all these tax collectors, and he's he's desiring them to know who he is, right? And they come in and knock on the door, and they said, hey, what are you doing, Jesus? (laughs) You're not supposed to hang out with these people. And in front of them, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And you can almost imagine Matthew saying, yeah, whoa, what? You call me sick? What? You what? You know, and and you can almost imagine. Just, yeah, no, you are sick, but I'm a doctor, and I want to make you well. See, doctors, you know, and 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 lately we have a lot of interactions with doctors. Doctors just don't tell you that you're sick. They don't say, "Hey, I got bad news. You're sick." Good luck with that. <laughs> no. They tell you you're sick, and then they help you get better. We live in a world where we just love to tell people they're sick. We love to, to uh, put people in categories, shout at them, yell at them, and just tell them how sick they are, how unhealthy they are. But yet, we don't take the time to make them This is exactly what Jesus was all about. I've come for those who know they're sick. These religious leaders, they thought they were healthy. They thought they didn't need anyone. Then they definitely thought they didn't need Jesus. Just like, see, then I'm no good to you. I'm going to go to those who need a doctor. And I'm going to make them well. So, going further. What does it really look like? What is Paul saying about how we can imitate Jesus? I read an article by Tim Keller that came out two years ago in 2018. And it's a good article that I think you should all read. And it says, how do Christians, the the title of the article is this, how do Christians fit into a two-party system? They don't. He says this, the gospel gives us the resources to love people who reject both our beliefs and us personally. Christians should think of how God rescued them. He did did it not by taking power, but by coming to earth, losing glory and power, serving and dying on a cross. How did Jesus save? Not with a sword, with nails in his hands. He didn't come 
fighting the way we envision fighting. He came serving and loving and sacrificing. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Peace, gentleness. The big theme of this letter that Paul writes is unity. I want my people to be one. I want my people to serve one. One spirit, one Lord, one Jesus. I love what my study Bible says. My study Bible says this, um, based on this passage in Ephesians. Unity doesn't just happen. We have to work for it. Often, our differences among people can lead to division. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> but this should not be true in the church. Instead of concentrating on what divides us, we should remember what unites us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We are called to be unified. We're called to have unity. But unity is not uniformity. We're not called all to ha be the same, necessarily have the same um, approach to politics, to uh, anything else. We're not, we are all created differently. And, and, and what Paul says in another letter to another church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he says, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you has a part in it. What, what I love about this is this. You cannot be like Jesus alone. You just don't possess all the gifts that Jesus did. You just can't. The only way to be like Jesus is if we as a body of believers come together. Then we can imitate and be like Jesus. Everybody plays a part. There may be people who have different gifts than you. You know, I'll tell you right now that there are people right now who would never do what I'm doing right now talking and publicly, even though I'm in my garage, but speaking to other people. 
And, and that's okay. Because you can't, you don't have to say, well, well, because I don't like to public speak, therefore I am not a, uh, like Jesus. Well, Jesus would speak all the time. It's like, no, no, no. I can be that for you in this body and someone else could do a lot of the things that I lack and therefore we come together. Jerry Seinfeld, the, the great comedian, said this. He said, the, the number one fear that Americans have is the fear of public speaking. The second fear is the fear of death. And then he says this, so therefore, at a funeral, more people would rather be in this casket than giving the eulogy. People just have fears and some people are so gifted in hospitality. There's some people who are just prayer warriors. There's some people who just have this amazing um, uh, compassion for people, words for people, people that are, are great at just at a drop of the hat, I'll do anything and, and, and helping and knowing your needs before you even know them. And together we all combine this body of Christ. One of the best pictures I've seen of this is when I was in Kenya. There's a school called the Getty School. This was the first school that we worked with and Kupendo works with kids with disabilities. At this school, there was the physically disabled and there was a hearing impaired. And, and what was so cool is that they would partner with each other based on what they needed in terms of uh, communication or physical uh, um, uh, help. And you would see this. And, and I remember looking and saying, this is the body of Christ. There would be a little girl in a wheelchair who had great verbal skills, but just couldn't walk because she had cerebral palsy. And pushing her would be this big teenager dude, and he couldn't hear. And she would, you know, talk for him and interpret. And he would be her feet and his in her strength and pushing him and you would see this happen at dinner is beautiful and how they would serve and how everyone would work together and it was just beautiful work if, if you read first corinthians 12 it talks about arms and legs and you know there's need for the legs there's needs for the arms and all these things it, it, and he says that and and kupenda and the getty school is actually a physical living example of this I remember going to uh, uh, Jamaica, and 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 when I was in my twenties, I used to travel a lot, and I was always so like blown away by the churches there and how differently they worshipped. You know, some of these churches they would go on for five hours, and their music was so different. But what united us was that we serve one God, right? One Lord. And I remember thinking like. Serving Jesus can look differently if we are all going in the same direction. And after we finished the school in Jamaica, we were in the middle of this big drought there, and, and we were in the middle of Jamaica, not on the, the beach resorts, in the middle of J Jamaica, which was pretty, you know, rough. And we all, there's a, there's a group of us that gathered to do this dedication. And this pastor, who was just so quiet, he comes up and he picks up his guitar, and he just starts singing. He starts singing. He's like, it don't, he don't make me suffer. He don't make me beg for bread. He's my provider. He don't make me beg for bread. I feel me daddy oh, I feel me daddy oh. I feel me daddy oh, I feel me daddy oh. 
So it was in a little petwa, I feel me daddy-o, right? Like I, I feel the presence of the Lord. And then he'd repeat it over and over. You don't make me suffer. You don't make me beg for bread. And I'm thinking, this is so whacked. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm literally thinking this. And then all of a sudden, like out of every corner of this field, like people just started flooding this field and everyone starts singing, you don't make me suffer, you don't make me beg for bread. And everyone's singing this song and he keeps repeating it and repeating it. And by the end of it, I kid you not, there's probably like 300 people in a mass just singing and praising God. And I'm thinking, this is so different than what I brought up. I brought up where if if it's not a hymn, then it's not for him, right? And this is was my upbringing. And all of a sudden people are dancing and they're and they're shouting and he keeps going over. And I mean, he says the same lines over and over and over again, but they were in love with Jesus. And they were our brothers and sisters. We are united. And you, and you think of that line, you don't make me suffer, right? And, and if you're like me right now, you're thinking, well, I am. You know, well, I am. You, you personally, I'm sure there's many right now that are suffering. But if you look at the world, see, tension shouldn't be a surprise. Suffering shouldn't be a surprise. It actually should be expected. God didn't say I was going to make everything peaceful the way that you believe peace would come about, which is everyone's going to see the world as I want them to see the world, right? No, that, that's never going to happen. Actually, Paul writes, if you caught that in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, therefore I, a prisoner, he's in prison for serving the Lord. He's in prison and he's talking about how good our God is and how to be one. He has every right to be upset with the authorities. He has every right to say, this is unfair. I shouldn't be here. The government is not, you know, uh, uh, is gone overboard. But that's not what he's saying. He's calling for them to continue to live righteously and to be united as a church, even though the government has put him in prison for serving Jesus because he has the right focus. And he also knows that God is over all and in all. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. That's a lot of alls. He is all over the place. That's our God. Well, he's in this tension. He's in it. And, and he is living through it for his purpose. He's in control of all. I think we look at a world that is out of control and we think there's just no way God is in control of this. He may not like it. He may not um, want it. But he definitely sees it and is in it and is over it. I was reading the other day, I was reading in Luke, 
Luke chapter 22. And, and I'm never really concentrating on this, so this kind of was a little bit of a surprise. It made me think, huh. You know when you read something over and over again, sometimes certain things just pop up. Maybe that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. And, and this is one of those times. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, this was right before Jesus was arrested. He was talking to Peter, and he was going to tell him, you're going to deny me. If you remember the story, and maybe if you don't, let me remind you that um, when Jesus was uh, uh, on trial, it, um, Peter was going to, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said, no, 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 I'm going to die with you. And sure enough, fast forward a few days later, Peter denies Jesus. I don't know him, I don't know him, and the rooster crows. And he says this in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Peter, his name was Simon. Where he said, Peter, Peter, but he says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So he's saying, Satan came in, has asked Jesus to test him, to trial him. The, the sifting is like a winnowing, like when they would uh, pull wheat, it would be like separating them. It was, it was a trying time. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And we have turned back, strengthened your brothers. So, well, thanks, Jesus, for praying. Why, why didn't you just sell, tell Satan, no? <laughs> You're asking, and my answer is no. <laughs> but no, I, I, what I love about this is it shows that there is a control that God has. It's like Job, right? The story of Job where, you know, Job is this righteous man, but he also is very prosperous, and Satan's like, you know, and, and God said, well, look at my man, Job. And so it's like, yeah, but he's gotten everything you want. Let me have a crack at it. And it's like, okay, go for it. Go try him. And then all this stuff happens to Job. His family dies. His business dies. He gets sick and all these things happen to him. But there's this control thing. Because I think often, for, for me, this is kind of, what what I like, and then we'll get back to like, well, if he's in control, and why doesn't he control it, right? Um, is that first of all, we need to recognize that God does see everything that's going on. He sees everything that's going on in your life, and he sees everything that's going on in the world. And God's heart breaks when our heart breaks. You know, Lamentations 3 talks about this, you know, this idea that God, you know, he's not looking at us and when we are sad, like smiling, when we cry, I think he cries, even though he's in control. Remember Lazarus, right? He cries, Jesus wept. He cried when his friend Lazarus was died, even though he raised him from the dead. So he knows the outcome, but that moment of brokenheartedness is, is hard. As a father is, has a hard time when I see my kid broken even though they probably deserve to be broken, and but when they're hurting, right? I hurt as well. When I put a kid in timeout and they're crying, I feel that. I feel that. When they stub their toe, and, and maybe it's their own fault, right? And I, I hurt with them. But he sees everything. Our, our baby Drew, who's going to be uh, a, a one-year-old November 4th. Can you believe it? Um, he is now mobile. All right. He's crawling. He has taken his first steps, but he's crawling. 
and he is the fastest crawler I have ever seen. You, you put him down and he, he's somewhere else. And where he likes to go is to the bathroom and he likes to bathe himself in the toilet water, usually before it has been flushed, if you know what I'm saying. And so a lot of times I will be doing the dishes or we're doing something and Kate or someone will be like, well, hey, where's Drew? It's like, well, he was just here. Like, oh no. And we'll go and there he is taking a bath and lemonade. <laughs> and we're just like, ah, you know, and we don't see it. It just kind of passes us by. The other day I caught him in the trash and he's picking up pieces of bacon, right? I just didn't see it. Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't in control of the situation. And I think sometimes when we are going through times, we want to say, God, do you see this? Right? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see it? And God is in all and over all and living through all. He sees And what Jesus says is, I have prayed for you. <laughs> Don't just pray for us. Do something. But the prayers of Jesus, and what Jesus has said about prayer, is that if you don't doubt, if your will is aligned with the Lord, then it will be done. So when Jesus prays, it's not praying a what if. A what if? Well, maybe. These are the prayers that we usually pray. God, I'm hoping you can do this. You know, what if you did this? Could you do this? He's praying with authority. He's praying boldly. So when he prays, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. It is done. And as a body of Christ, when we pray, and we believe, we can pray with that authority of, it is done. We talked about this Nehemiah when Nehemiah said, strengthen my hands. He doesn't say, lessen the work, but strengthen my hands. He does, likewise, Jesus doesn't pray for the situation to decrease. He prays for his strength to increase for his faith to increase. So when we're looking at a world in tension, instead of looking for the situation to change, let's try to have our hearts change. Instead of we're waiting for the situation to decrease, let's pray that our strength and our faith would increase. Go and be the church and keep building. To live in Chenson. First Peter chapter 2 says this, For this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You're called to be like Jesus. Jesus suffered, you're suffered. I, I love this idea of being called, that you have been called and appointed for today, for this time, for this moment, that God knew you were going to be here in the midst of what's going on. 
For me, sometimes it's the only hope I can grasp on when I look at our personal situation with two daughters that are going through, you know, cancer kind of things and, and it's just a really hard time. I'm saying, God, no, you see me, you're in this, you're in control of this and Lord, strengthen my faith, God. Make it big. Make my faith strong so, so I can withstand the circumstances for your glory. Don't, don't necessarily lessen the situation, but I'm praying for that. But I'm praying in the midst of it that you would give me the strength to get through it. And in the midst of the tension that's going on in the world, give me the strength to get through it, Lord. And I'm praying, I'm praying that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unify our church together. That as a church, we can be Jesus, that we could pray like Jesus, we could sacrifice like Jesus, that we could serve and heal to be the doctor that Jesus was. We can do that together, but we need each other. In the midst of everything that's going on with COVID, the fact that you're listening to me through some kind of device just shows where we're at. But I just want you to say this, church, we need to stay together. We need to be one. Don't check out. So many people have checked out and said, you know, I, I'm going to wait until I can sit myself into a seat at an event called Sunday morning church. You know, don't wait. That's not what the church is. It's people. We need to come together. We need each other. This is a call, people. This is a call fireside to not wait to do it now. Because now is the time that we need to be Christ. Now is the time that we need to be the body of Christ. And you may be sitting at home right now saying, well, I don't need you. And you could be the brain in this body of Christ. You could be the feet. You have a gift and we need you. We are incomplete without you. You've been called. You've been called to be a part of this church. You've been called to be a part of the body of Christ. You have been called and we need you so we can be complete in likeness of who Jesus is. Amen. I wasn't going to talk all about that, but I just felt like the spirit was telling me this because we need this. We need this, and we need to pray. We need to pray that God is glorified. Instead of calling everyone sick, we need to pray, how can we start healing people? How can we help them be well? How can we do that? How can we love better? How can we serve better? How can we sacrifice better in the midst of the situation? No matter what's going on in the world, we are going to rise. No matter what's happening in the world, we are going to have a faith that's unfailing if we are united as a church the body of Christ, following and imitating Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. God, oh Lord, thank you for just who you are, Lord. Thank you for giving us the power to be like you. What a humbling thing, Lord, that we can be like you, Jesus, together. And Lord, I pray that you would just let us recognize what part of the body that we are called to be in. I pray for our church that we could just come unified, that we could be bold, that we could have a faith that's unfailing even when Satan tries to test us and he's trying to test us. <laughs> he's trying to test the church and he's trying to test all of us individually, Lord. And I pray, God, for the faith that, that of each other that it does not fail, Lord. Unfailing faith, Lord, that we can arise above it even in the midst of a tension-filled world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Woo. We'll see you guys next week.